Hey there, Conrad here, and welcome back to The Art of Hospitality. We are rolling part two of this wide-ranging interview with Travis and Rebecca from The 100 Collection. If you didn't hear last week's episode, definitely go back one in your feed and check out part one. It'll give you a lot of context. But if not, get ready for part two and listen up and enjoy. Thanks so much. One thing we had in the notes to expand on Scott's point there was just that the, sometimes the guest and the owner expectations, this has been a theme on previous episodes too, their expectations aren't aligned. Maybe the guest expects something to happen in the property that doesn't or vice versa. What's your opinion on that, where the guest isn't getting the experience they deserve? Maybe it's even not someone being a bad actor, but it's like they, they're just ignorant. Like They just don't know what the right thing to deliver for that guest is or what, what the guest should expect. The 100 collection, how do you guys see that as a way to correct that? Or maybe you have to find standards, I don't know, of what the guest actually gets when they book a property that's in the collection. Our industry has talked about this for years, right? And what are the standards? What is ski in and ski out? What is oceanfront? Is oceanfront a condo that overlooks the ocean? and the, Or is it a, a condo that's in a building that is oceanfront, but that condo overlooks the parking lot? How many pillows should be on a bed? What do we expect in linens? Hotels have hospitality standards and generally upholstery gets replaced between seven and nine years. Like it's a part of their budget. We often have owners that they do that one-time investment and they don't want to touch it. They just want to set it and forget it and think it's a Chia pet. That's not really how it, uh, it operates. And it's okay. So what are we doing and how are we working with those different owners? I just, I use myself as an example all the time when we're talking to various partners, because, you know, quite frankly, it's, there are people that have worked with us for a large number of years and we don't want to just go fire them if they're great people. But I have a property that sits up on top of the mountain that overlooks Charlottesville and it is phenomenal, but the couch has seen it's like, it's been there and it's a great couch, but it's like starting to look worn. It's time to move it out. But the, the owner is quite conservative. It will not be a part of our collection. But it's still a part of State Charlottesville. It's still a phenomenal property. People still have a great experience. But I think what we need to do as an industry is take these 17 lanes. I always call it the 17 lane highway of standards and start tightening it up as we get further down the road. And I think what Casaga is doing is a really great example as well. It's, it's implementing standardization. So do we, and I, and I think, sorry, Rebecca, I'll, why don't you jump in with your thought and then I'll go to my question. I saw Steve talk about this at Verma and I was like, I didn't get it. Like I know Steve was saying he was on a panel and he was saying, we have to take care of the homeowner first. The homeowner is our numero uno priority. And my brain is no, how is it not the guest? I don't get it. And then I started reading the book Unreasonable Hospitality. And they talked about how the restaurant is their numero uno priority. And then what ends up happening is they get a Michelin star <laughs> right out of that at EPM. So it took me reading an entire book to make it really click what Steve was saying. <laughs> but but no, it, it does make sense that once you get the property owner completely on board and you exceed their expectations, it, it talks about being unreasonable. That's not reasonable to ask of a homeowner. Well, what we asked was unreasonable. And what ended up happening was the guest or the diner like had this over-the-top experience. And that's what gets you the Michelin star level. Yeah. The details. And so my experience, and it's funny, restaurants comes up a lot. I love hiring people from the restaurant industry for ours because I think they get us, right? I think it's a different, but I think it's the same. I think they the turnover, the chaos, I think they really dig in, but it it's details. And Conrad and I have talked about this a hundred times, and this is a sticking point for me. And Adam and I shared a side conversation about, about a property like this, but these amazing properties with great pictures just look 
incredible, right? Occupancy, 17. And then you look and there's a table for six and you go, where the hell is everyone else going to sit? What's the plan? So that's part of our side as we're building Del Mar, Casago Del Mar, is we're looking to say, those are the details we think are important, right? For our owners, they've got to commit to at least 2% a year back into the property for, for them to be considered in our portfolio. I think it's critical, right? And I love the unreasonable. I, I took a note. I love, I, I'm looking forward to reading that book because, because I do think that if you get, if you're that unreasonable, I think the guest experience follows. I think it's impossible for the guest experience to not follow that. Yeah. So I'm, and perhaps this is my impatience, but I'm very curious when we talk, you hear Scott's comment about it's fractured and we need to bring it together. And you hear Travis's comment about the 17 lane highway that we need to start to narrow down. And I love the direction that the 100 collection is starting to do this with. But to your point, Travis, you've got this great home overlooking Charlottesville and they won't even qualify for the 100 collection. So when I think about the industry, the 100 collection is focused on that top tier and you're going to be able to give that Michelin star to that top tier and people are going to know what the 100 collection is in the very near future if they don't already. But how do we translate that through the rest of the industry? How do we get that to the mid tier? How do we get that to the low level affordable tier? And I mentioned impatience at the beginning of this slot because I think that has to happen fast. We talk about the big company who we don't believe is pivoting. I don't think they're pivoting nearly quickly enough if there is a chance for them to sell back and get rid of everything. I think they're moving way too slow. And I think the standards in this culture war and the good actors versus act bad actors is very similar to that. I, while I applaud you guys for what you're doing, I don't know that translates fast enough through the rest of the industry. So how do we do that? How do we get your standards and start to translate that to everybody? I've already seen it start to happen. I had two people come up to me in Kansas City that said, I'm trying to get all, like all of my clients up to your client's level. I love it. Is that the goal? Do you think that the 100 collection becomes something that all professional managers eventually aspire to and get to? Or what's the big picture for the 100 collection? That's such a great question. The big picture for the 100 collection right now is just to make sure that the VRMs that are sitting in their seat get to stay in their seat. and. One of the things I talk a lot about in this industry is if you want to go run a hotel, you go to the School of Cornell. If you want to go run a vacation rental, you go to the School of Hard Knocks. And it's like, we're supposed to know SEO, SEM, booking engines, revenue management, asset management, linens, cleaning, yada. Like the, it's a huge list, right? And I've yet to meet anyone that has a PhD in all of it. And so I think by going back to what Rebecca was saying, it's like this alliance. I think one of the really fun things that we're doing is we're putting all of these phenomenal people together who are going back like CJ Stam, like he does purpose-built homes so that you're not having a property that sleeps 20 people with a dining room table that sleeps six. Like it's, they're building, and they did that by building a Reg D REIT. I'm not smart enough. I have no idea how to build a Reg D REIT, but we'll go get him to present on that to the rest of our group. And I think by coming back to this thought, it's like when I was building my vacation rental group, it felt very alone. There's nobody else in Charlottesville that was doing it for four years. It's like I was literally holding the Batman phone 24 hours a day seven days a week. Didn't matter where I was getting support calls. And then finally I went to a conference. So I started networking with people and I started networking with more people. And now I feel like I've built this incredible network that just keeps on building, building. I love it. And so it's, I think I might be answering two different things, but 
regards to this bad actor, good actor, it's like making sure that we're educated and networking, having these different conferences, and also calling out these conferences that are doing the absolute opposite. I will let this conference remain nameless here for a second. Last year, there was a, a conference where they asked everybody in the auditorium, how many people have mortgages on their houses? And everybody raised their hands like, yeah, how many people own their houses with all cash? Two people raised their hands. And they're like, you're an idiot. You need to go leverage that. Leverage, leverage. I'm like, this is basic. I'm sure everybody has a different opinion, but Anywho, I think networking is really a huge thing that we all need to be doing in our industry to be able to help set those standards. And we also need to be helping the, we were all once up and comers with one or two properties and had no clue what we were doing. And by hopefully being able to educate everybody, we make it a little bit easier to exist down the road of regulations. Yeah, I personally think inspiration is going to play a huge role here. No, know we're going to have to have, obviously, regulations that are monitored, and I totally get that. But if we can inspire those folks who think that they're, they know everything and inspire them to want to worship at the altar of operations, <laughs> right? Get them to that point where they want to get there. And then, like Travis was saying, put those pros in front of them to teach them. That's what I'm at. Get that inspiration out there so that people want to elevate themselves to that level. I love that. I, that's the first time I've heard it put like that, Rebecca, and I, and I love it. I think it is, you're right. It's an inspiration. We've got to inspire these people to do the right things and have the industry in mind. I think that's one of the things when we talk about culture where ultimately we're fighting for this industry, right? We've got people who are trying to pull it apart in different directions because it's in their best interest. And then you've got all of these professional managers who are sitting in the middle who have been doing this for a very long time have learned through that school of hard knocks that Travis has mentioned. And we've got standards, we've got processes, but they're different across all of these managers. And they're not talking enough. They're not standing up and saying, hey, these are the standards or this is what we live by. So to your point, Travis, I think the networking is important. I think the educational aspect is important. But I think that this underlying community discussion is still a very important but growing part of this industry. Casago is starting to do this and helping people understand what those standards should be. You guys are doing it rent responsibly. Matt Landau's got his area where he's trying to focus and bring people along. I think that it's important for multiple communities and hopefully there's more out there that are talking about forming and trying to inspire because I think ultimately it's those communities that are the inspiration or at least that's what we're seeing from our experience with Casago for sure. hundred percent. Ironically, the first version of this project that was supposed to launch first quarter of 2020 was it called the Inspired Stay. So if anybody wants that, <laughs> just know that Hilton owns Stay Inspired and they might want to compete with you just a, a tad. But I think Rebecca said it well. That's the, exactly the reason why she's our co-founder. She's, she's all the brains and marketing, but it's definitely inspirational for sure. I'm curious, Scott and Adam, if I can ask you guys a question. Sure. Yeah. As you're talking to folks, what is their awareness of the landscape as you're having these conversations? That's a great question. So when we're talking to them about what we do on the tan side of things and gaining inventory, and that that's ultimately where my question earlier stemmed from is how do we translate what you guys are doing at the upper end down through the rest of it? Because tan is today is focused on affordable family vacations. So we are focused on that bottom end and we are trying to be 
a good steward in that bottom end want to protect it because I think that's an area of the industry that's in jeopardy right now. As the economic pressure comes down, I think the affordable units are going to be the ones that get cut loose the fastest because the margins are small and they're also the hardest ones to operate because they need the most handholding. They need the most touches throughout a guest stay. And at the end of the day, they're probably the homeowners that are challenging. So I think that we're trying to, one, provide affordable family vacations, but two, trying to do it in a way that we can protect that and add some standards down there. We obviously can't do it for the entire industry in the same way that the 100 collection can't do it for the entire industry. So that's where I think a number of good communities with good actors spreading that message are very important. But to answer your question a little bit more specifically, Rebecca, I think that the landscape is different based on who you talk to. And it, it is bifurcated by those two groups that we've already mentioned. You've got a professional management group that's been doing this for a very long time, or if they haven't been doing it for a very long time, they've bought into the concept of being a professional manager. So they've joined Casago as an example, and they said, hey, I'm going to join a franchise so I know that I can follow a playbook and make sure that I start from a professional management mindset. And then on the other side, I think you've got these individuals who joined the industry and let's just draw a line in the sand and say 2019, where the COVID boom happened. You've got an OTA to Travis's point that is is more or less just a credit card attached to a listing. So now you've made it very easy for them to list and put this out there. The cost of acquisition from a marketing side is 3% because the rest of the fees are going to the guest side. So they don't even know what the cost to acquire a guest actually is. They think it's as easy as taking pictures, putting them up on, on an OTA and the guests will just show up at the door. They do not understand scale whatsoever. They don't understand the challenges around marketing, yet they're coming in with that arrogance that I mentioned at the beginning and to a point where they are accumulating large numbers of properties, whether or not it's their own and they're going out and buying it or they're doing arbitrage and they're doing these long-term leases and flipping them. We've all seen how that played out. Conrad shared a post a couple of weeks ago showing that 1.5 billion was pumped into lease arbitrage in this industry none of those companies have shown a profit. So while it might seem easy today, as things get harder, those people are going to fall to the wayside. And to Travis's point, maybe it's as simple as just putting up a tax ID and we'll help that happen faster. But I do think that we see this line down the industry of professional managers, which if we're defining good versus bad, I think the professional managers by default are falling into that good actor category. And then you've got these individuals who are taking an easy route and not necessarily thinking about the industry as a whole. And and I think that's my ultimate concern is the industry behind this. We've been working real hard, all of us in this call for many years to try to build up this industry. It would be a shame to see it get undermined so quickly by people who don't have the right mindset. Yeah, it's funny. And we all kind of trip around the hosts, but it's the 2019 people that started. I'm an avid bike rider. I'm riding my bike pretty much consistently. And one of the episodes we talked about, I said, it's like having the wind at your back. Like I can be two miles an hour faster with the wind at my back right until I turn around to head back. And then I've got it in my face, right? And it's funny. These guys have all been riding with the wind at their back, but the kick in the ass is none of them knew it or recognized it. So when they go to turn back and the wind shifts, the hook on them is going to be, wait a minute, what's this? Why is, I thought it was always easy, right? And I think certainly my fear, Rebecca, and what I'm hearing is, Then they start to panic because they don't know what to do. They don't have any fundamentals. And that's when the swirl starts in with the owners, right? The owners now have this crazy inflated expectation. There's no real reasonable conversation to explain, hey, you've been riding some really good years. 
that this is not normal. That's never been passed on. And that's big brand to OTA. I mean, just such a gap, right? And in, in my fear, even in this conversation, and I see it actually us doing it with Casago Del Mar. And as we're sitting here talking, it's occurring to me. If you look at our Casago Del Mar operation, we're top end, right? So we're covering the best stuff and we want to make sure it checks all the boxes, right? Occupancy, all of those things, it all matches. Then we've got tan covering the bottom, which is a huge proposition. But even in our own model, Rebecca, we're sitting there going, we don't know what to do with the middle. We're not super comfortable with the middle because the middle is that no man's land where to Travis's point. Oh, I, yeah, I bought that couch back in, in 2017. It's still good, right? It's, like, it's not still good. It needs to be changed. But right now we're hands off in that territory and we've got to look and say, there's a place in this market for it. You've got to figure out what it is. But inside of that place is it's got to be super transparent, right? You got to put it out very clearly that these guests are renting in an affordable place. I think that's the big piece is we try to put this all together and look at how we unfragment this. But it, it's been interesting and I think it's going to continue to get interesting, right? Big brand, how many more quarters can they even report on money? Super hosts. When does that start to collapse and they look and realize, oh, you do need a PMS to run this business. Oh, I do need to have operations in order. What's that impact all the way down the line to the people on the other end, guests and owners. We're wrestling now with the big brand in Ocean City. And I shared this a little bit at the beginning, but we take over the units on 5-1. So, so now we're in the debate of what are they doing with the reservations? So all they did is they reached out to all the guests after 5-1 and canceled them and said, hey, we don't manage this unit anymore, you're canceled. And you look at it and go, they're not really directing them to us. They're just sending them off to oblivion. So now we have people frantically trying to find the listing. They're finding us, they're calling just to rebook with us. And you look and go, you could have kept that reservation with no issue, no disruption to the guest. We were ready and willing to accept it. Instead, you just send this churn. So the people that have never dealt with us start out on level 10. Like we're working with a lady and has a huge property that she booked. So they canceled their reservation. Her reservation is scheduled to check in on April 30th. Now you look and go, okay, now we have a five, one cutoff. So how are we going to approach this? How are we getting your locks off the door? How are we having this set up for the guests? And why the hell didn't you just take care of this guest? Why, why are we doing this? But again, they just see it different, right? They, for them, it's just commodity driven. That guest will never return to them. Doesn't matter, right? They'll find another one. It's, yeah, it's I, always, I think that's a bad thing overall. Go ahead, Travis. I always say we're a teeter-totter as a vacation rental manager between the owner and the guest. And it's our job to decide who how to do best in between. And so it's never it's always gonna go one way or another. But again, it's like that's it's bad for our industry. And so it leaves a bad taste in a guest's mouth. But Scott, something you said earlier about this margin in the middle or the the opera. So one of the things I've made me think about is like there's a reason Marriott has thirty different brands. Yeah. And obviously Holmes and Villas being one of them, but Ritz Carlton up the top and we'll just, you know, say Fairfield in. They represent something. And so, you know, there's a lot of room, I think, in this in this world for, you know, all those different levels. I mean, Mm-hmm. There are, again, you know, 17,000 vacation room groups. Yeah, because if you look at the guest reviews that are like, this was not what I was expecting, this was terrible, they're like, they immediately say, I paid X. I expected X for what I paid. So the amount of money they're paying is directly correlated to what experience they're expecting. But to your point, if it's 
purchased or booked through an OTA and they pay more, <laughs> like they're going to come in with a, this set of expectations. Yeah. What's interesting about that hotel brand piece to me as well, Travis, is they have brands that are essentially similar price point wise. It's not just purely segmented based on, okay, this is a thousand dollar a night, Ritz Carlton, and then this is a $200 a night, right? Type of property. But they have properties that are almost targeted to like a different type of consumer. The Moxie, I'm on the site right now, look at like the Moxie brand. I've never stayed at this one before, but it looks and feels different, even though it's a similar price point to like maybe a Fairfieldian in and sweets product. It looks like younger and hipper and there's different neon lights. They took a night picture in one and they have a day picture in the other. That's a that's like another thread to this thing too. So that's part of it too. The guest that's actually staying there and what they expect isn't just purely based on the price point they're paying, but it's some clients that I work with, for example, have these like higher touch concierge almost type services. Oh, we'll help you book things. Mm -hmm. I know Travis, I think that's something you do where I think you have like transport services between the rental home and like mm -hmm. the winery and stuff like that. A lot of people wouldn't expect that or wouldn't do that in other markets and it's, they wouldn't even think to approach it. Whereas you have, it's something that you've thought of. So I guess that's part of the brand experience too. It's not just price point. It's not just the quality of the property. It's also the, the guest experience and all those things and how it's laid out. And I thought that note on hotel brands was fantastic because not only does Marriott have so many, but that all the other hotel brands have so many hotel brands too. They're a good example because they're so large, but there's like thousands of different ways to kind of like paint color around mm -hmm. the edges of what these properties actually are. And that's a very mature industry. So, of course, we're still figuring out on the short-term rental, vacation rental side of things, for sure. As you expand, it's something that just dawned on me for the first time. It's like talking about those different brands. One of their brands is the Autograph Collection, which years ago... Should, should, someone, should we send help for Rebecca or how does this work? Is she okay? <laughs> but the, what was it like eight years ago, nine years ago when they introduced the autograph collection, which was the hyper local brand of Marriott that came in and they realized it was important because the boutique hotels were starting to take a little bit of the market share. You have to read more into that one, but yeah. Yeah, I think I know what you're referring to, though, Travis, a little bit, because I think when you go to the autograph collection, or sorry, the luxury collection of properties, they're not necessarily branded as any, even of the Marriott luxury brands, to my knowledge. So I don't think you go there and stay at a Ritz-Carlton property in Italy. I think mm -hmm. it might even be keep like the local brand, but it's almost like part of that, that sort of community or collection of properties, which we can argue that's what Homes and Villa is. I have clients that are in the Homes and Villas program, and they are obviously still operating as the name of the actual property management company locally in that market. However, they're also part of Homes and Villas, and they have some standards and things like that they enforce, I know, to be able to be entered into the Homes and Villas program. It's not a, it's not a given, similar to the 100 collection. There's like a certain criteria you have to meet. Um, you have to agree to treat the guests in certain ways and things like that. So obviously they dip their toe into it, got, using Marriott as an example. I don't know if they're all in. I don't see, I don't have any client who's like aggressively trying to grow their homes and villas inventory to try to get more bookings there. We'll see kind of what the future holds and if they can figure out a way to expand that and bring it further into the fold. Certainly I think having more distribution of vetted higher quality properties, I think is a good thing overall. I just don't know if it's captured the like eye of the consumer in terms of people, guests specifically going to that platform to book versus just going to their other OTA of choice. Well, I for awesome. one am very excited that they're in the space, homes and villas, because at least they are not lobbying against yeah. us. And I think one of the smartest moves they've done is get a hold of Annie and come help run it. And so it'll be interesting to see how that takes shape over the next couple of years and see what market share they, they gain. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's yeah. super healthy to have them coming in here. I think it's super healthy. As long as it's done, I think it's healthy for all of us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Excellent. Anything else that we want to talk about? Anything other plugs, Travis or Rebecca, that you guys would want to slide in here or reading a good spot? Okay. Yeah, we so, got you. 
one thing I was going to mention was that when you were talking about price point earlier, and that's where their expectation is versus Marriott has the brands and you have that moxie experience associated with it. So if you're on an OTA, you don't have that brand identity. And so all you have for, to set your expectations is the price, right? So that's the catch there. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they sterilize the experience a little bit on, a, on an OTA. It's all laid out the same way for the most part. Um, Airbnb, the only difference I suppose you could point out is they have a regular listing and a luxe listing, but that's it. I feel like they kind of bumbled, fumbled that luxury retreats purchase that they made a while ago. I think that was such an amazing platform to be on. And now it's just, oh yeah, some listings are luxe and some are not. And it feels like the standards for that are very squishy and it, they don't really promote it well. So maybe there's a strategic reason for doing that, but I, it seems like a shame because that was an amazing platform that was kind of spun away. But to your point, Rebecca, it does feel that way when you look at a listing. It, you don't really see the difference on the actual page itself between a $2,000 a night ultra high-end property and a $20 a night room share. I think it kind of looks similar other than just the photos and the text on the page describing it. So that is a challenging piece for sure. Which is funny because that's the exact uh, reason Scott, why vacation ahead. rental guests come to vacation rentals is to not have a sterilized experience, to have that local experience. Yeah. That's why we need these local managers and the local champions. I guess my takeaway from this discussion is, is definitely encouraged and to use Rebecca's word, inspired. I'm encouraged that you guys are out there creating this alliance in these communities along with Marriott and Casago and Rent Responsibly and some of the other good actors that are out there because I think it's going to take a number of alliances and a number of communities, and they might cross pollinate each other, but I think it's going to take a number of us to rise the tide and educate and network with everybody. And to Rebecca's point, hopefully inspire some of these new hosts and managers that are coming in. Because as Travis said, we were all at one and two properties at some point. If you talk to any manager that's been in the industry for a long time, they tripped and fell into this industry accidentally. They were managing it for somebody else. So I get that we're all starting from a place where we were small and had to learn through that process. Hopefully, as an industry, we can educate everybody who's stepping into this, whether or not they have that professional mindset to begin with, or we have to help coach them down that path. We all need to get to a place where we're thinking about this industry in a professional hospitality way, and not just a fly by the night, throw it on an OTA and see what happens. Entirely agree. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Phenomenal. Awesome. We will potentially, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can check out. It's the100collection.com and 100 is spelled out. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes so people can check it out. Thank you, Rebecca and Travis, for joining us. We really appreciate the conversation. Uh, we always beg for reviews at the end. So if you guys do want to leave us a review, 100 reviews would be fantastic to match the 100 collection episode. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, leave us a review in your podcast app of choice. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode. And again, yeah, a huge shout out to Rebecca and Travis. Definitely follow them if you have a chance to Go check out what they're doing at a future conference or industry event. I think you'll learn something and be smarter along the way. And also definitely check out the100collection.com. Thanks, everybody, for your time. Really appreciate it. This was a great episode. And we will catch everybody next time around. Thanks, Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks.